Good morning, Mill City. Uh, if you're brand new with us, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, hello, balcony. All right, all right. Hello, floor. All right. And also, hello to everybody online. There you go. All right. Yeah, good. Uh, we didn't get to hear them, but they get to hear us. All right. So we're so glad that you're with us. Thanks for joining us uh, online today. So you might be saving some money so that you can buy a house or so that you can buy a car or whatever you might be saving for. Maybe you're trying to get good grades so that you can pass the class, so that you can graduate, so that you can get a job. And every parent said amen. (laughs) You might get a cat so that, I don't know actually, We're in a series called So That, walking through our vision as a church. Our vision as a church will be up here on the screen just for everybody's reminder if, you're, if you've heard it before and if you haven't. Encountering Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did so that northern Colorado looks more like heaven. We talked about what northern Colorado looking more like heaven is all about. And uh, last week, we also announced uh, that we are moving towards Feel God Calling Us to uh, get ready for and purchase at some point a building and move into a permanent space. And so excited about that. If you weren't here last week, I think that's worth celebrating. That's right. Don't tell the nine o'clock, but you guys are way more fun today. Okay, so... If you didn't get one of these, uh, please grab one on your way out. Uh, The goal is for everybody to have one of these in your hands. This will give you more details on where we're at uh, financially, what we're trying to do financially, uh, and some of the different details on um, the So That campaign uh, that we're we're, uh, a part of and and wanting everybody to participate in. So grab one of those on your way out if you don't have one. Uh, I want to make sure that this is clear. I said this last week, and that is the goal of a permanent home, a goal of a building, is not the building itself. It is increased kingdom activity as a result of a building. And so we've named not just this series, but specifically this campaign, so that, because it always speaks to why. It speaks to the purpose. It speaks to the, we do these things so that other things might happen, or we might experience those things. The so that's are all throughout the Bible. There's hundreds of verses that uh, highlight this, but I want you to pay attention not just to the so that's, but what's on either side of them. Because what's on the second side, the back side, is influenced by the front side. Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Don't want to fall into temptation? Then watch and pray. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody want to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 2 Corinthians 12.9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that 
Christ's power may rest on me. How many of us want Christ's power to rest on us? Boast in your weakness. Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Some of you are experiencing the power of the devil's schemes, but not putting on the full armor of God and wondering what's the problem. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our goal is so that northern Colorado looks more like heaven, so that there's more heaven on earth. We unpacked that last week, but we've got to then go to the front half, and we're going to unpack each phrase starting today with encountering Jesus. We're going to be Looking today at Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16, you can open your Bible or open your phone or open your eyes and look at the screen. It says, He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those in attendance in the synagogue would have known that particular passage of scripture in Isaiah was speaking about the Messiah. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? We're going to read more of this passage here in just a moment, but I like to call this chapter the woe chapter. In this chapter, and there's all these different interactions that Jesus has with different people. And regularly after his interactions or what he did or said, it says that people were amazed. Like, whoa! So out of this particular passage, I want us to take a, a moment. I'm going to share some observations about encounters with Jesus. And the first one is that an encounter with Jesus inspires awe. Here they are listening to him and, whoa, did you just hear that? Did he just say he's the Messiah? Whoa, he healed. Whoa, he said that. In Luke chapter 5, after several more interactions, it says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Awe is that feeling we get in the presence of something vast that like challenges our understanding of the world. It's that time when you go out and camp and, and there's no light pollution and it's a clear sky and you're laying and, and you look up into the stars and you see more stars than you can even like fathom, let alone maybe see the Milky Way and you see planets and you're identifying maybe constellations and your mind is like, whoa, especially when you start to think about where we are in relationship to that and the number of galaxies that are beyond what we can even see and understand and comprehend, and it blows you away. That's awe. 
Or it might be as simple or as beautiful, but also so profound as the birth of a child. Or maybe the most minuscule of flowers. And when people feel awe, they use words to describe their experience like wonder, amazement, surprise, or transcendence. Like, wow, that was a transcendent experience, like something beyond what I can comprehend, what I can fathom. This idea of awe is rigged into who we are, but sometimes being lost, as indicated by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. He wrote a book uh, maybe most famously known for, The Unrighteous Mind. Unrighteous? Righteous. The Righteous Mind? Anyway, uh, he's a professor. (laughs) It's not in my notes. Uh, He's a professor at NYU, and he studied the impact of of technology and the rise of technology and specifically the impact on our brains, the impact on our social interactions, what technology and screens and all the information that comes to us in this. And of course, we know that this can put so much information in front of us 24 hours a day. I mean, we can find out the news, and you can be reading news from any aspect of the world, from the area of sports to global things to political things to celebrities. I mean, you, could, you can get sucked in. Or if it's not that, it's social media. You want to find out what's happening with grandma, or you find out what's happening with a friend, or you find out what's happening with somebody who you don't know, and somehow all of a sudden you're looking at their reels, and you're caught up in that, and, and, and on and on and on, and we get information overload. And if it's not this, it's a computer. If it's not a computer, then it's a screen. If it's not a screen, then maybe it's a podcast. If it's not a podcast, it's the radio. I mean, on and on and on. And he basically says, my greatest fear is that this generation stands in awe of nothing because of the overwhelming amount of triviality in front of our faces. This guy's an atheist, and he says, feeling awe is key for healthy development as a human being. We are rigged to feel awe in order to develop into who we were meant to be. I wonder, even as a follower of Jesus, if we've lost some of our awe, that our vision of Jesus is too small. I know that not everybody has the same story. Some are new to faith. Some maybe are like, the Bible says what? Jesus did what? But for others in this room, maybe you grew up in church or you've been around church for a while. Maybe you've been, uh, I grew up in church. I remember going to Sunday school. I was in youth group. I I went to, you know, you kind of, I've been to Christian school. I went to a Christian university. I went to seminary. And you know what? There can be times when I come across a, 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 a story in the Bible and I read it as if it happens every day. You know, you ever hear the story of Jonah and you're like, yep. As if people get swallowed by fish every day. (laughs) Kind of a, I've read that, seen that, done that, heard that before. And oftentimes what happens is we get a little too self-serious. And we're like, well, you know, those those aren't that important and I I just need deeper. I just need more important things. I need more confusing things. I don't know. Now, let me say this. It is so wonderful for us to dig into the Scriptures and find the depths and plumb the depths of the goodness of God. 
and the reality of, of what the Scripture is saying, and that it is a treasure trove full of so much goodness and so many things. But my prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we would not get over the grace of God. That we would not get over the fact that Jesus went to the cross willingly driven by love to sacrifice himself and find himself on the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And to give his life away, not just for the people that he knew and that loved him, but for his enemies. I pray that that, when we read that, we've got Good Friday coming up, that when we read about Jesus coming out of a grave, we're like, whoa, can you, I can't get my mind around it. That is unbelievable. To that Jesus would give his life away for me, for me, for somebody who's desperate, for somebody who can't save himself, for somebody who needs help, for somebody, Jesus, oh my God. Gosh, your grace, I can't get over it. Or that we'd read the story of Jesus in the Jordan River. And John the baptizer comes to baptize him. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the scripture says that the heavens open. And that the spirit was there and the heavens open. And his father says, that's my boy. That's Jesus. I love him. So pleased, my son. Now that's amazing enough just that the heavens opened and that's what happened right there for Jesus. But let's just take it one little step further and to recognize that as followers of Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God, which means that what is said to Jesus in that Jordan River on that particular day, that's my boy, I love him, and I am proud of him. I have so much delight in my son is the exact same thing that he says to you and to me. Whoa, that's exactly right. That is mind-blowing, everybody. So when I sit down in my little chair every morning and I sit there, put on my little timer, I'm going to have my moment of silence, several minutes of silence with Jesus. And I just imagine myself with Jesus sitting next to me. And I think, he likes me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love him, but he is, he, he loves me. His delight is amazing. The God of the universe who created those galaxies and those stars and those planets and who sent his son. He's sitting right here with me and he loves me. He loves you. Can't get over it. It is unbelievable, everybody. Or to read about the story of Jesus coming out of the grave and to know that the scripture says that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead resides in you and me. What? What? How is it that we are not in a million pieces right now because we're exploding because of the power of God, that power that raised Jesus from the dead? I can't get my mind around that. (laughs) What? Like, we should read our Bibles like, what? 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 Are you kidding me? Are you? This This is insane. Now, I can't make you feel awe. But I can shine a light on the beauty of Jesus. And that's my goal today. My greatest desire as a pastor is to see and to help others see the grand beauty of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It's not so that we would just live behaviorally in a particular way. Because when we see and have an encounter with Jesus, the rest takes care of itself. Because we will 
we will shift around things. When I, my, the very first movie I saw in a movie theater when I was in second grade was The Empire Strikes Back. And that movie changed things for me. My bedroom when I was growing up had on one wall, floor to ceiling, R2-D2 and C-3PO on Tatooine. And I had uh, figurines, and I had speeders, and I had Jawas, and I had all the things. I so wish I had them today because that would be really helpful for my retirement account. But, <laughs> but I became obsessed. I've seen every movie. I've seen all the shows. I know the, 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 the people. I pass it along to my sons. I'm so proud. And, <laughs> but why? Because it somehow is like, whoa, opened me up to this world. Sometimes we get more wowed by a movie than we do by Jesus, who opens us up to a world beyond our imagination. Continue on in Luke chapter 4, verse 28. It says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Because here Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. Some were amazed. Some were furious. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teachings because his words had authority. There's something different about this guy. They heard teaching all the time. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus responds, be quiet, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. So now we have Jesus in the synagogue with some Jewish people that are like, on in line, wanting to hear, go, doing their weekly going to the Sabbath, going to the synagogue. Now he's got people mad at him and amazed at him. He's got Pharisees that are trying to kill him. He's got demons who are mad at him and reacting to him. He's got amazed interactions with Jesus disrupt us. An encounter with Jesus is disruptive. Jesus goes to his disciples. Come follow me. That's pretty disruptive. Disrupted their life. Here he disrupts a demon, let alone the guy who had the demon. He disrupts this woman, the Samaritan woman at the the well. So much so, like, he's telling her things about things in her life that he would have never known. And then she goes back and tells the whole town about him. Disruptive. Something happens. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Just so Jesus. Paul was killing Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to kill some more Christians, and Jesus stops him on his way. He gets knocked off his, his, his donkey, and, he's, and, he's, and everything changes after that. We have Pharisees who are trying to push him off a cliff, and we have Nicodemus. Hey, wait, wait, who, who are you? What is this born-again thing? We have Roman soldiers who are crucifying him, and we have a Roman soldier who says, that's certainly the Son of God. Jesus disrupts. 
Jesus, after his resurrection, is walking on the road to Emmaus, and he ends up walking with a couple of people. They don't know who he is. They think that he's dead. Therefore, they're discouraged and thinking, well, I guess that was a, we thought he was, but he's not. If you read the story, after they do find out who he was and then Jesus disappears, they say, we're not our hearts burning within us. Just being in the presence of Jesus, something is there. I wonder sometimes if we have an innate hunger for the disruptiveness of Jesus and we have a bit of a resistance because we're like, yeah, I, 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 yes, and I, leave me alone. Or I'm not sure about what this is going to cost or what it's going to look like because we know it's going to mean something. I love this definition of awe, perception of vastness that requires accommodation. Like, it's so mind-blowing. It's like, I have to do something about this. I have, to, I have to accommodate. I have to move some things around in order to fit this into the reality of my life. We are transformed or begin a journey of transformation as a result of an encounter with Jesus. And the Christian claim is not just that Jesus was a figure of the past who did some good things and taught some valuable lessons that we can learn from today. It is not like how we might encounter Genghis Khan or George Washington in a history book. It is that Jesus is alive and can be encountered as such today. The living Jesus, the God of the universe, is alive. And we can encounter him. And our encounters can look a lot like, whoa, whoa. And our encounter can be radical or it can be gradual. So when we think of a permanent home, we think of more opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. We live in a region of the country and specifically in our state where 75% of the population doesn't go to church. What if more people encountered Jesus and had woe moments? And by opening up more seats, people have an opportunity to meet Jesus. What are those people doing? Why are so many people, why so many people there on a Sunday morning? Because can I say something? Please don't come to Mill City for a concert. Callie and the team are amazing. Come to Mill City on a Sunday to encounter Jesus. Everything that they do is to facilitate an encounter with the living God. And the scripture says that where two or three are gathered there Jesus is with us. Now, Jesus is with us all the time. You walk in the mountains, and Jesus is there. There is the omnipresence of Jesus. He's everywhere. The Spirit of God is everywhere. But the Scripture seems to indicate that God is there in a unique way when, he, when we gather with His people. God inhabits the praises of His people. So, which means that when we come here on a Sunday... It is a guaranteed place of encounter. It's not like, well, I hope that I like, I hope that it's good today. I hope that I have a meet Jesus. No, no. I'm going to church today because I'm going to meet Jesus. I'm going to see, I'm going to have an encounter with Jesus today. Fuzzy, goosebumpy feelings, I have no idea. That's not what he guarantees. He just guarantees an encounter with Jesus. What if we got in the car and walked into these rooms and, and with an expectation, ha, ha, I'm going to meet Jesus, the one that they're going to push off the cliff, the one who the demon says, You're the, leave me alone. 
the one that knocked Paul off of his horse. We intentionally wrote in the vision statement, encountering Jesus, because it's not a one-time encounter. I've been walking with Jesus and known Jesus basically all my life. I grew up in church, Sunday school, youth group, all of that. And I've had more than one powerful encounter with Jesus. I've had not so goosebumpy encounters with Jesus and later realize how unbelievably impactful it was. Sometimes, sometimes we miss out because we just don't show up. Sundays are thin spaces. Worship is a thin space where the, the distance between heaven and earth is just a little thinner. We had a shorter time of worship here in the beginning so that we could have a little extended time of worship here at the end. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment that my hope is it inspires some awe as we sing about creation, we sing about Jesus and what he's done. So can we all stand up together? And my hope is that we would not just open our hands in worship, we'd open our hearts and our minds to the reality of Jesus. And maybe for some of us, we meet Jesus for the first time, and for others of us, we meet Jesus for the first time again. Like, Oh, that, that's some woe and some awe and some amazement. It's reignited in us. So maybe you find yourself needing to get on your knees or sit or raise your hands, but would you just, would you just let Jesus amaze you again? Encounter him maybe in a fresh way here in this moment.
Worship is fueled by awe and gratitude. The more we're in awe, the more worship we pour out, not just in song, but our whole lives. We live in a world where God and the transcendent has been pushed out, keeps getting pushed out. As a result, we've oftentimes settled for a feelings-based, consumer-driven progress-obsessed, meaning-deficient reality, when a God-soaked, Holy Spirit-enchanted, meaning-drenched, divine-action-laden existence is available to each one of us. I think when we push the transcendent out and we live in, in a world of triviality, the awe and the wonder of God and Jesus and what he's done is when we end up putting our hope in politics or we put our hope in different advances or progress in our culture, thinking that somehow is how things are going to be made right when it's Jesus. The beauty of the kingdom, the upside downness of the kingdom, not through power and dominance, but through service and sacrificial love. Jossie and I went on our honeymoon to Cozumel, Mexico, almost 28 years ago, and we went to an all-inclusive hotel, and, and it was nice, it's, you know, and uh, endless buffet, and scuba, or, or snorkeling in the water, and all that stuff, and they were like, you know, be careful about this, and don't go here, and all that kind of stuff. We decided that we were going to rent a Jeep, we want to see more, so we went to the car rental place, got a Jeep, and they're like, don't go on this road and stay away from here. If you go here, you know, you can't get a tow truck or, you know, we're not going to come pick you up or anything like that. So we started, guess where we went? <laughs> Into the jungle where they couldn't pick us up, and it was awesome. And we ended up finding this, this little hut with hammocks on the beach like fresh made, if I think guacamole that was like made four seconds before it went into our mouth. And you know, when we look back and we think about our honeymoon, you know what we talk about the most? The one Jeep day and not the hotel day. Because, and it took leaving the safety of the hotel 
to experience the danger of all that was out there. See, we were, we went to Cozumel, but at the hotel, we weren't really in Cozumel. It was only until we went out into the wild unknown of Cozumel did we ex really experience Cozumel. And the same thing is true with Jesus. Some of us are kind of sitting back and playing it safe. Jesus' invitation to each one of us is like, let's go. And Jesus doesn't force us or push us, but he does invite us towards that wild adventure with him. For some of you here today, maybe you're like, you know what? I, I have had encounters with Jesus and it does mean something for me. And I need to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. If that's you here today, the beginning of that journey is so simple. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. In giving our life to him, he gives his life to us, which is an unbelievable trade, by the way. It is, it is an amazing trade on our end. Feels unfair. And for some of you, it's a surrender, maybe not for the first time, but the first time in a long time. And maybe you did or you're encountering Jesus for the first time again. And so my prayer is that all of us would surrender and walk with Jesus and go out into the unknown and experience the fullness that is available to us. I'm not sure what your exact step is in this moment, but we together always take a step uh, identified in our weekly practice. Our weekly practice this week is for all of us to read Luke chapter 4 and 5, but I want you to read it with whoa eyes. Like read it slowly and like think, he did what? They said what? Whoa. If you've read it before, act like you're reading it again for the first time. And maybe you see Jesus in a new way. Father, we need you. And God, we don't ever want to be so familiar with you. We love you and we're so grateful that we can have friendship and the consistency of daily interaction. And I pray that there is a familiarity that is, is wonderful and breeds comfortability with you so that we walk with you in the deepest of friendship. But I pray that our familiarity would not breed contempt in us. Instead, it would breed curiosity. What else is there? What more is there that we might know you in a greater way? Help us to be people and encounter you, encounter you in new ways. Find ourselves in absolute awe, minds blown by you. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, 